Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Gail Natras has spent her entire uh, career in culminating a lifetime of researching and teaching the broad spectrum of South African history, collecting stories, taking students on tours around the country, and working with distinguished historians. She has written her book, A Short History of South Africa, to tell the story from the beginning of, from the cradle of mankind, right through to the settler period, post pre-colonial, post-colonial, the subsequent wars, and taking us to South Africa as a new nation. Um, Gail, firstly, welcome and thank you so much for coming in. And thank also you. congratulations on a very beautiful book. In fact, you're author of a number of previous books on aspects of South African history, including the Anglo-Boer War and the Royberg story. So right. what, what is your background, um, Gail? Um, I started off as a teacher and then a lecturer at the School of Education at Fitz, And I've worked with students most of my life, most of my working life, and collected their stories. And I've taken them away on tour to Kimberley and Pilgrim's Rest and Skumon's Doll right up in the Limpopo province, which was the furthest outpost of the Trekker settlement. And, you know, when people are far from home and we sit around a fire or so, they tell you their stories. And I've collected them over the years, and I thought I'd love to do something with this Sometime. So this book has been quite a few years in the making. I think it's an absolutely amazing initiative because um, South Africa has such a rich heritage. Yes. And it has so many dis- different aspects to it. I mean, if you think about the fact that there are 11 traditional um, languages that are spoken. Yes. And each language, each group has their own history, their own culture, their own stories to tell. Are you right. encapsulating these kinds of stories? I hope so, but there's so many more. And, <laughs> and of course, Cherie, so many that we'll never know. That's the very sad thing, you know, of people who were disadvantaged or whose stories were not written down years ago. And early history, of course, was dominated by stories of men and written by men historians. You know, that sort of thing has all changed in the last, oh, 50 years at least. But I don't think we'll ever recapture some of the stories of the past. And South Africa has gripped kind of in in narratives. You know, as you said, the stories of men, the victors write history. Our books are constantly being written. When I think of the history books I had as a child compared to the history yes. books my children have now. Um, how do you write an objective history of South Africa? Oh, that is so difficult. I think there's no way I could be completely objective, being first of all white and secondly a woman and from a privileged class. All we can do is is try to see the different points of view and try to present them, but we'll all be subjective to some extent, I'm afraid. And of course, new questions are asked of the past as well. I mean, one of the questions that I ask in this book is how has it happened that one group has been able to dominate another, even though numerically they were fewer, you know. And, and I've tried to bring in the um, history of the ordinary people. Well, we've been doing that for some years now because I'm sure the way I was taught, certainly not so much you, but we learnt about prime ministers and politicians and the big deals. Yes. And ordinary people have got so many stories to tell and they've helped to shape what we are. Do you think we as South Africans are doing enough, even now, 
to capture the stories of the ordinary people, just of the last period. I mean, I know the early stories are, are probably gone, but there yes. must be still among the older people that we, we being South Africans, can still tap into and learn about different parts of South Africa. Is there any interest in it? I think so. Um, I think so. What we really do need, though, is more black historians, I think, to capture from their point of view, because it would be different mm. from mine. However mm. much I would try to be objective, I don't think we can be. And it's, it's always such a controversial subject, history. But I, I like to think that it sets up our young people for life if they've studied it, because they learn to analyze, they learn to consider points of view, they learn to debate. Mm. It's also a most dangerous subject, as you can imagine. We've had some heated debates uh, about history in my student classes, but we've always tried to resolve them. But, for example, somebody who read that book, who is an historian, thought that I hadn't understood the humiliation that Afrikaners felt at the hands of the British. Now, if he'd said in relation to the Boer War, Mm. I would have accepted that because maybe I didn't do enough about that. But he was referring to the trek. And, you know, such a small percentage of Afrikaners even went on that trek. And they were right out on the eastern frontier, miles from Cape Town. They had problems of their farms being raided and not Mm. enough protection and so on. But I wouldn't call it humiliation. So he obviously had a a problem with with the way I was presenting things. That's... Well, that, that I think, I think encapsulated actually the problem with trying to tell history because it is you talking about people's subjective experiences and you coming out as uh, uh, from an eye view perspective yes. you saying okay well these are the facts and this is what happened but you can never take away from a, an individual person who feels aggrieved yes and yes. and i mean i've just started reading for no apparent reason and it just happened to coincide books on the Anglo-Boer War, um, just books that I've discovered. And it's almost, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's surreal because the, the Anglo-Boer War and the tensions between the Afrikaners and Englishmen at the time can be seen outplaying the, the things they say about each other could be seen during apartheid between, say, yes. nationalist forces and black South Africans. And, and it's almost like they say history repeats itself. Yes. Oh, that's a very interesting point because I remember Alan Payton, you know, Cry the Beloved Country. I was lectured to him uh, as a young girl and uh, he said, you know, the Afrikaners of all people should have known what it was like to be discriminated against. And yet when they got into power, they proceeded to do exactly that. It was just a point that I, I remembered, you know, all those years. So. And sometimes I think, you know, we need to deal. Your book is so important because we need to understand that history. We need to know what happened. We need to take our own emotion yes. out of it because only then can we actually move forward. There are days I sometimes think that the Anglo-Boer War is still being fought today in South Africa. Oh, yes, I think so. I think for a lot of people, they'll never really forgive each other, you know, one way or another. And a friend of mine in England said, he's read the book, and he said he's actually embarrassed and horrified about what the British did in the Anglo-Boer War. And, you know, they weren't all like that. There were camps and camps, you know. Some people suffered terribly in those concentration Mm. camps. And others weren't too bad at all, apparently. You know, who am I really to judge that? But there's stories of the one in 
outside Bloemfontein, for example, of one of the English soldiers riding on his bicycle into town to get ice for the children that were struggling with diphtheria. Uh. Because apparently with that, your tonsils swell and you can't breathe. It it closes off and ice would contract Hmm. now. I love you. See, that's the kind of story I've I've put in the book. So, how does yes. your book work? How does it? Um, I've tried to do it chronologically. Okay. Um, and where possible, I've tried to integrate it with all the different races and their contribution. And Sharice, when I knew I was coming to talk to you today, I looked through it and couldn't believe how much the Jewish community, well, I I always knew that, but it just brought it home to me, had contributed, you know, from the early days of our gold mines. I mean, most, in fact, some historians have referred to the Jewishness of the early gold mining industry. And they were people who could raise money overseas and so on, but they also had this kind of vision and business acumen because, you know, what did they come to here? I mean, the people that lived in and around the Vitvartisran, for example, were farmers. They wouldn't have known anything about how to organize a mining industry. So we owe them that. And a lot of them did so much as well for just the general good. Like I think of Lionel Phillips, who built the first of the stately homes, Hohenheim, which is now uh, where the Joburg General Hospital is. I'm so sorry they didn't try and keep that main building, you know, and incorporate it somehow. But his wife, Florence, started the art gallery with paintings of Monet and some of her own private connect collection. Then they retired down to the Cape, Somerset West, where they bought the farm Fair Geleachen that had been Willem Adrian van der Stel. And there's the beautiful rose garden and you know, the, these people have left a legacy, you know. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm just also looking through your book. It is um excluding uh appendices and bibliographies. Uh, 259 pages so the entire history is 259 pages it must have been a very um, selective process in putting the book together there I I had good editors who forced me to take out some of the chatty stuff you know the the stories that I love they left some of them in but the whole thing was there are good histories that are much longer and where different experts in their particular areas have contributed this is a single narrative and it's short and it's the kind of thing that hopefully somebody at an airport might pick up you see and and read um so it so. is it is it is an absolutely lovely book and, and as i say i think it's really really needed for south africans to have access to our own story um and in in a way that's easy to read it's not an academic it's not an academic book what well, is an academic i hope book? it's accurate and i've certainly quoted Top people in it, you know, from when so I was based on history, I, I always used the best source material I knew of and could find. So I've, I've got lots of end notes there. Which, yes, yes, yes. No, I'm not suggesting that. you made it up. Um, no, but no. as accurate as one can hope to be. And towards the end, I quote Justice Malala a lot and someone called R.W. Johnson, yes. who in 1977 wrote a book called How Long Can South Africa Survive? Yes. And now, 40 years later, he's written it again, and he's very worried about it. He says, you know, history has shown us that an essentially African nationalist type government struggles to cope with something like a modern industrial economy. You know, they they could 
meet the challenges of an essentially agrarian society as they have done elsewhere in Africa. But this is different. And he feels we can't have both. We can have either an African nationalist government or a government that can understand and run a modern industrial economy. It's quite, I've put these opinions in. I haven't said I agree with them necessarily, but uh, I've tried to keep up with the latest of of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I pay tribute to many of your great Jewish community, like W.P. Schreiner, you know, who as Prime Minister of the Cape took a small delegation of ANC people to England to try and protest against that Land Act of 1913. And that's as early as 1913. Yes, and Olive Schreiner, you know, they were both part Jewish, um, who said, don't ever underestimate the Jewish people. They actually embarrass others because they've got the most vision and the most imagination. Interesting, you know, there's a, a quote from her in the book as well. And Helen Sussman, of course, she was my idol. I loved her. She was an incredible woman. And, oh. and again, something for your book is history leaves people out as it sees fit at the time, you know. Yes. And and you know, I think recently it would have been Robert Zabukwe's 90th birthday. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, as at the time, for political reasons, people can be delegated to the back streets of history. And I think a book like this is important to make sure that it's not the politicians that decide who should be have streets named after them, but your, people like yourself, historians, people who have a passion, can bring this together. We, we spoke about um, Anglo-Bill War still playing itself out, and that was, you know, so many years ago. Yes. So the time for the, the, the pain of apartheid to heal will also be a long, a long process. It's not something that, you know, people say, okay, well, you know, apartheid yes. We were over. so divided in the past, weren't we? And we didn't know each other. This was the very sad thing. You know, I noticed with my grandchildren, they know each other and they don't see differences. Um, that generation will be fine, I think. Do you think a book like this has a role in nation building? Oh, I hope so, because right at the end, I do say that, gosh, we come from so many diverse backgrounds. There's so many differences between class and culture, so many divisions, those that have and those that have not. There's an enormous gap. But I think South Africans in their history, of all all South Africans, have Demonstrated an incredible resilience, you know. I'm amazed at what people have come through, especially our black people, coloured people, Indian people, and how much many of them have achieved against the odds. That's amazed me. I mean, there were qualified lawyers like uh, um, John Doobie and Sol Plaikie and these people in 1913. And do you mention, are they all of that? So, So that's in the book as well. And people like your Arthur Goldreich, who owned the farm Lily's Leaf where the ANC all hung out and Nelson Mandela masqueraded as a cook and a gardener, you know, and I mean, these are, and they were so at risk, those people, weren't they, you know, defying the laws like that, but uh, brave people, courageous people. And what I also think I'd like to say is that um, I have your book. I am going to read it. I haven't read it yet, but you tell the story. And ultimately, it's the stories, you know, they say uh, truth is stranger than fiction. Yes. And the stories are absolutely amazing because it it 
shows the details of what the world was like then. And you can also get a sense of how far we've come. Oh, for sure. So for you, is this a storytelling I really hope so. For example, you know, much has been written of of Nelson Mandela and his whole long jail sentence and so on. But that warder, Chris Bront, there's a little story in there about how one day Winnie Mandela came to visit him with a grandchild, a little baby girl on her back. And she was told to wait in a waiting room and they took the baby away from her. And she had to wait and then permission was given and they escorted her through to the cells. But meanwhile, Chris Bront had smuggled that baby in to see Nelson Mandela. And when he never knew about it, they said, you know, they were so frightened if she knew, she'd tell everyone. And Chris Bront would have lost his job, you know, in those days. I'm fascinated by the kind of human aspect. And I think that's what you give this book. And that's what I hope is basic to all of us. Um, So you can get your book. It's it's Gail Natras, A Short History of South Africa. It's a beautiful cover with a little um, gold rhino. rhino. Yes, Yes. it's absolutely amazing. And I think it's so important to preserve this kind of history. It's available at exclusive books. Exclusives. Um, I believe online. I haven't tried that myself. I'm not terribly good with computers. But it is online and Amazon. And England, uh, there's a company called Biteback that have bought the rights to it. And there is going to be a reprint, which is very nice to know. Um, I don't think they print many copies to begin with, and just okay, to just test, to the, test market. the market. Yes, so so it has uh, sold. So, um, but the other thing, if I could just say quickly, is I was very restricted in the number of pictures I could use. Okay. There's some pictures in the middle. They chose twenty, and I like what they chose. But oh gosh, I submitted well over a hundred, <laughs> and I'd paid a lot for them and gone to a lot of trouble to get them. Some people charged a fortune to use photos. Others were very, very generous. But what's happened is my son in America has created a work, uh, website. And he's put all the pictures that I uh, paid for that weren't used, used on the website. That's brilliant. And it's simply called www.ashorthistoryofsouthafrica.com. Oh, that's all amazing. one word. That's absolutely amazing. Well, Gail, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for sharing your book with us. Um, I know I'm going to read it this holiday. Oh, I'm looking forward great. to it. Um, and I wish you success with it. Thank you very much, Sharice. It's been very nice to come in to meet you people. Thank you. Thank you. That was Gail Natras talking about a short history of South Africa.